So are you someone who is more like a chameleon or more like a caterpillar? We need to hold on to that and think about that as we make our way through our message today. We're continuing uh, this series, which we've been doing over the last couple of weeks, which is called Core. So uh, for those who are new today, I've only been here. This is my third Sunday, uh, so I'm very new as well. And so we've been doing a series called Core where I've been talking about some of the things that are the most important to me, the core foundational things to me that then kind of build out uh, beyond Uh, those core beliefs. But also they're the things that I think are the most important things for us as a church. And as I've gotten to know Richmond over the last couple of weeks and prior to that, I sense that these are the things that are also the most important things for us that we build out around. And so uh, two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus, oddly enough, and recognised that Jesus is foundational to everything that we believe and everything that we focus on. Last week, we took some time to unpack family and what family means and what it means for us to embrace being spiritual family. And so today, we're going to talk about what transformation looks like. And uh, so if you have a notebook or your journal with you, I encourage you to grab that out so you can jot things as we go uh, through today's message. But if you have the Bible app on your phone, uh, then you can go to more down in the bottom corner and then tap on events, and uh, you should be able to find Richmond Baptist Church, and you can take notes there as well. And uh, you'll see as we go through today's message that that is something that I would encourage you because it is very important to us. Before we jump in uh, to the message, I do want to just remind you that we've got a Q&R Sunday coming up in a couple of weeks. Now, this is something that I blatantly stole from Melinda, uh, that we don't do Q&A because we don't have all the answers. We don't claim that we've got all the answers. We do Q and R, question and response, because we hopefully have some good responses to the questions that you're wrestling with. But we do want to address those, and we want to talk about those things, and we want to be a safe environment where people can feel free to ask anything. And so that is my number. That is my correct number, not like last week where it was wrong. So uh, you can feel free to jot that down and text me a question at any point. You can do it right now. I haven't got my phone on me, so it's totally fine. Or at any point during the week, if you think of any questions that you've got about Jesus, about the Bible, about who we are as a church, about where we're going, or questions that your friends or people at work are asking you, or the questions that you're the most terrified people who are your friends or people at work might ask you, uh, then send them through because we want to be able to unpack them together. So uh, feel free to do that at any point. So I mentioned that so far we've talked about Jesus and family. And one of my core beliefs is that when we focus on Jesus and put him at the centre of everything that we do, in an environment that resembles spiritual family that we talked about last week, an environment that is authentic and accepting and encouraging and supportive, when we focus on Jesus in an environment like that, the end result is that our lives are transformed. In some ways, if we focus on Jesus in the right environment, you can't help but have your life changed by what Jesus wants to do amongst us. And so we are going to dig into what that transformation might look like today But before we do, I want to just name that it's really important for us to stop and recognise that God loves us 100% as we are before we talk about these things. So I actually want to stop and give you a moment to just pause. If you want to close your eyes, you can feel free to say, I am loved by God. So I actually want you to do that. So stop, close your eyes, and let's say that together. I am loved by God. As you are right now, in this moment, you cannot be loved any more by God 
than you are. You are accepted, embraced, loved, forgiven completely. But one of the phrases that's been around for a very long time is that God loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us as we are. And the most helpful way to think about that is to think about a parent and a child. Parents love their kids 100%, whatever age they are, but we don't want them to stay where they are. So I absolutely love and adore Josh and Rachel, and here are some baby photos of them. No, no. (laughs) No looks on their faces. No, no, I wouldn't do that. Not without your permission, at least. So when they were little babies and toddlers, and when they were at primary school, absolutely loved them as much as I possibly could. But I didn't want them to stay at that age. I wanted them to continue to grow and develop. And now they're 19 and 17, and I love them completely passionately as they are. But I don't want them to stay like that. I can't wait to see what happens as they head into their 20s and beyond that. I want them to continue to grow and develop and mature, but it doesn't mean that I don't love them as they are. And God is exactly the same with us. He loves us passionately wherever we're at in a spiritual journey, but wants us to continue to grow and develop and mature. So what does that look like? That's what we're going to dig into today. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we read. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. So the background context of this is that Paul is writing to the church in Rome. And Romans, the letter to the Romans, is one of the most powerful, intense, amazing letters that Paul wrote. A lot of the theology, a lot of the things that we believe come from the book of Romans. And what Paul talks about in this letter is that God's heart is for us to experience what he created us to experience, a full, complete relationship with him and with each other and with creation. But Paul then goes into some fairly uh, amazing detail about how well we mess all of that up. And left to our own devices, how poor we are at being able to live the way that God created us to live. That ultimately we are people who are very selfish and very self-centered, who cause damage to the people around us, who hurt the people around us in all sorts of very destructive ways. So Paul makes it very clear that if we want to live the way that God wants us to, we can't do it on our own. But Paul then makes it equally clear that the good news, that's what the word gospel means, the good news is we don't have to. That's why Jesus came. That's what Jesus' role is, is to do all of that for us. And Jesus is the one who has given us the opportunity to live the way that God always wanted us to be able to live. So chapter 12 is this kind of pivot point for Paul where he says, So, therefore, on the basis of everything that we have talked about over these last 11 chapters, here's what I want you to do. And what does he say to do? He says, take your everyday, ordinary life. And I love that. It's not just in the spectacular moments that God's at work in our lives, and it's not just in the really hard times that we go through that God's at work in our lives. In our everyday, ordinary life, every single moment of every day is an opportunity for us to experience what God's got for us. When we're asleep, when we're awake, when we're eating, when we're going to work or school or uni, whatever it is that we're doing, when we're walking around, God is at work in our lives. Every moment is an opportunity for us to be able to learn, to grow, to discover, to wonder, to imagine. So Paul says, because God's at work all the time, place your life before him as an offering. 
This is where it's important for us to unpack a bit of the context that Paul's writing to. So the, Paul, the people that Paul is writing to were very familiar with the temple, the Jewish temple. And so what they would have experienced on a regular basis was going to the temple primarily for a couple of reasons. One was to go and make a sacrifice. So in those days, if you messed up, you would recognize that, that you did something selfish or you hurt someone or you caused damage to someone else. And so you would go to the temple and you would meet with a priest and they would say, okay, on the basis of what you've done and what the law says, here's the price that needs to be paid. There is a price, a cost for the mistake that you've made, but that can be dealt with if you pay this price, whatever that looked like. And then the priest would make that sacrifice on your behalf and you would walk away feeling forgiven and released from whatever that was. But you would also go to the temple to be able to make an offering. And an offering was a response to be able to say, God, you are so amazing. You've done all of these awesome things for me. I have been forgiven because of you. I'm so grateful for all of the provision that you've given in my life. So I want to make an offering, be able to recognize your generosity and give something back to you in return. So Paul has talked all the way through Romans about how Jesus is that first type of sacrifice, that Jesus comes to be the one who deals with the sacrificial system once and for all. So no longer do we have to make sacrifices to go and pay certain prices for the things where we mess up, the mistakes that we make, and people that we hurt. All of that's been dealt with 100% by Jesus. And we are now completely forgiven and completely released. So there's no way that Paul is saying in this moment that we need to come as a sacrifice. He is saying we need to come as an offering which means that we're coming as a response, that we give our lives to God as a response for everything that he's done for us, to say, thank you, God, for your provision. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for how amazing you are. I come and bring my life as an offering. So it's interesting that other translations put it as, bring your life, uh, come as living sacrifices, because I think it's very easy for us to take that and think, so my responsibility is to keep making sacrifices with my life. My life, I'd better measure up. I'd better make sure that I'm doing enough to hope that God accepts me, to hope that God loves me. And that's part of why I love the way that Eugene Peterson has put it in the message, is not place your life before God as a sacrifice, but place your life before God as an offering, as a response as an expression of the gratitude that we give for all that God has done for us. So Paul then continues in verse 1 and says, Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. So if you're ever wondering, what is the best thing that I can do for God? Paul gives a very, very clear answer. Accept and embrace all that he's done for you. It's really that simple. That's what God wants from us. It's simply to say yes to his yes to us. He's done all these things for us. All God wants us to do is to say thank you and embrace it and accept it. Something I read this week is that life with God was never meant to be transactional. It was meant to be transformational. Life with God was never meant to be transactional. It was meant to be transformational. That we're not supposed to live our lives trying to do enough for God, but simply to embrace what he's given us and to allow that to transform us. But then Paul throws the hammer down in verse 2. He says, Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. 
Now, when we think about culture, one of the most helpful images that I've ever heard of what culture is, is that culture is like the water that fish swim in. Fish don't know what water is. If you said to a fish, what is water? They'd be like, what are you talking about? Because they just swim in it and they live in it. And our culture is very similar. That it's very easy for us to just live in our culture, to swim in our culture and take it for granted. So Paul says, don't become so well adjusted to that, that you fit into it without even thinking. The challenge is that often in the church, the way that we've responded to this is to say, that's why we can't listen to that evil music. So rock and roll is from the devil, so we can't possibly listen to rock and roll music. Or that's why we can't wear certain things. Or that's why we can't watch certain shows. Or, as good Baptists, that's why we can't dance. So you're not allowed to dance as good traditional Baptists. How many people have heard that before? Only a few of us. That is something that's very traditional about Baptists. We can't dance at all. And so there's been this resistance to say, well, resisting culture means that we're not allowed to do all of these things. But I actually think that Paul is going much deeper than that. And he's challenging us to think about why we do the things that we do. Are we just embracing the cultural norms, the water that we swim in around us, or are we actually stopping and thinking about it? Now, the challenge is that some of what we get from our culture comes from the songs that we sing and the shows that we watch and maybe the way that we dance. I don't know. So we have to stop and think about it and recognise that our culture wants to transform us. Our culture is also very passionate about changing us and transforming us. Once again, we think about Paul. He's writing to the Roman culture. What do you think about when you think about the Roman culture? Power, dominance, taking over things, accumulation of wealth, comfort, feeling good about yourself, having amazing parties and wild experiences. That was all a part of the normal Roman culture. The challenge for us is that many of those things are actually the same things that are present in our culture. We might not look at power the same way as the Romans did, but if we're honest, a lot of our lives are very much about me getting what I want, life the way that I want it to be. Our lives are filled with consumerism and the accumulation of wealth, wanting a newer house, better car, a newer phone, bigger TV. We're regularly tempted with those things. And one of the dominant realities of our culture is the draw to comfort. This belief that life is meant to be easy and anything that's not easy, there's something wrong with it and so we need to do away with it. When we think about what Jesus came to teach us and what Jesus came to show us, how many of those things are present? In what he said, yes, this is what life is supposed to be all about. Jesus spoke against all of those things, against power, about consumerism and about comfort. So this is a big challenge for us. How do we live in the culture that we live in, which wants us to be transformed by those things when Jesus calls us to a different way? As Mark said a couple of weeks ago when he was unpacking Daniel 1, what is distinctive about us as followers of Jesus? Do people see anything different when they look at our lives because we follow Jesus? Or do we look basically the same as everyone else around us? And if we are different then what is different about us? Are we basically the same as everyone else, but there's just a little bit of Jesus that's sprinkled on top of us? Or is Jesus number one in our life, our King, our Lord, our leader? The most important thing that we start every day with and end 
every day with. Now, I wrestle with this because there is a balance between staying culturally relevant and culturally engaged. To be able to say, how do we help to transform and redeem the culture around us? Because if we go too far, then we actually cut ourselves off from culture and we have no ability to be able to influence it, either because we've tried to escape from culture and pull right away from it, or because we have uh, reacted in such a way that we lose all credibility and no one wants to listen to us anymore and we have no opportunity to be able to be a part of transforming culture. It's a balance. How do we interact with our culture but not be influenced by it and keep Jesus as number one? What Paul challenges us about is that what's most dangerous is that when we just embrace the culture without even thinking about it, we are going to be transformed one way or another. The challenge is, what's transforming us the most? So Paul says, instead of just allowing culture to wash over us, we should fix our attention on God, and then we'll be changed from the inside out. We recognise that transformation is God's heart and God's desire for us. But that transformation begins on the inside and works its way out. And this is very different to behaviour management. But sadly, a lot of the time in the church, that's how we focused. If we just impose these rules on people, don't do these things, do these things, then our hope is that they'll be changed on the inside. And generally, that doesn't work very well at all. Now, we recognise that there is a time and a place for rules. So when our kids are little, we do give them fairly clear rules and guidelines. And when kids, for those of you who are teachers, when kids are younger, we give them very clear rules and guidelines. Don't touch the oven. Don't run across the road. Don't bite that child. We put these rules in place for specific reasons. But if we just stop there, as they grow up, they don't actually get to grow and develop. And what ends up happening over time is that we hide the behaviour and we do it anyway, particularly in church circles. Generally, when there are high levels of legalism and you have to do these things and not these things, the behaviour goes on. It's just that it's not obvious. And that creates this huge dilemma for us because we stray into hypocrisy where we're one way in one place and then we're one way in another place. That doesn't develop maturity in us and it doesn't help us to be able to grow. We just end up being like chameleons, where we change colours when we're around this group of people, and then we change colours when we're in this group of people, and then we change colours, and then we change back. And that's not at all what God wants for us. God wants us to be transformed from the inside out in such a way that we can't go back. There's no way of us being able to turn back into what we were because we've embraced Jesus' values and we understand what he wants from us. So Paul's encouragement about how we're transformed from the inside out is to fix our attention on God, to do that regularly, each day and throughout the day, to stop long enough to recognise that God is a part of all of those everyday moments with us, to fix our attention on him and say, God, what are you up to here? What do you want from me here in this context? What are you doing in my life? What are you doing in the lives of the people around me? The challenge is that it's far more than us just doing that on our own, though. And we can fall into the trap, particularly in our Western culture, of thinking that if we just stop every day and we pray and we journal, we read scripture and do that in the morning, then we can tick that box off and say, I've learned some stuff, and then away we go. 
And we can even fall into that trap when we're here together, that you can sit and you can listen and you can even take notes, which is really great. Thank you to those of you who are, which is really, really good. But it's just my personal processing. In order for us to be truly transformed, we have to do this with other people. We're not wired to do this on our own. We've been created to be in relationships with each other where we sit and we talk about these things. I'm very, very conscious, this is always a challenge every week, that if you just sit and listen to what I say today, you are going to remember very, very little of it. Very little of it. (laughs) There's a chance you won't remember any of it by the time we get to next week. That's the joy of us who come and speak week in and week out. Now, if you do take some notes, then you have a greater chance of retaining some of that, which is great. If you look over those notes, you have an even better chance of retaining some of that information. But if you sit and you talk with someone else about what you got out of the message, about the questions that it raised for you, the things that you're wrestling with, and most importantly, what it looks like to put that into practice, then you'll have a massive spike in how much of it will be retained and how much of it will be lived out in your life. We need each other in order for the transformation that God wants to do in our lives to happen. And so that's why we are so passionate about gospel groups, our small groups that meet on a weekly or fortnightly basis where we have the opportunity to talk about the things that are going on in our lives, to unpack these things together and to talk about what it looks like to practice these things together. And we mentioned last week that we're in the process of recalibrating all of those. And so if that's something that you're interested in finding out more about, uh, come and have a chat to me. We'd love to talk to you more about the groups that are running and the ones that we want to get up and running in the next little while. But we also often talk at Richmond about the idea of just doing one-on-one connections with someone else, sitting and reading scripture with someone else as a regular practice. It doesn't matter whether it's one person or a small group, we take the time to recognise that transformation happens as we meet together. And so the last thing that Paul says is that we need to readily recognise what God wants from us and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. The challenge as we think about what transformation looks like is that the goal is not perfection, the goal is maturity. And what's fascinating is that so often the word that is translated as perfect in our Bibles is actually at its core the word mature. That's God's desire for us, is not to grow to perfection, but to grow to maturity. This week, I uh, planted some veggies in our veggie garden. So it's that time of the year, which is really, really great. So I planted some tomatoes and planted some cucumbers and some uh, spinach and some lettuce and some strawberries. So ready to go as we head into the spring and the summer. And my hope is that those things will grow to maturity that ultimately they will grow and develop so that they can produce the fruit. That means that we'll have all of those things to be able to eat in a couple of months' time. So I know that they need to be planted in the right places, they need to get the right amount of sun, need to make sure that they get the right amount of water. But if they are in the right environment and they get the right nutrients, they're going to just grow. That's what happens. They will grow to maturity and we will get the benefits of that in a little while. That's what I was saying at the beginning, that that's true for us in our lives as well, that if we get the right nutrients, if we focus on Jesus in the right environment, spiritual family where we're connecting with each other and processing things together, then transformation and growth is what will happen. We will grow to maturity to produce the fruit that God wants to produce in our lives. This doesn't mean that we just sit back 
and have nothing to do, though. I know what happens with my garden if I just let it go. <laughs> One of two things. Either it dies because I didn't give it any water, or it takes over the garden, which our tomatoes did last year because we didn't keep pulling off the extra bits, and so it just grew instead of producing as much fruit as it could. There are weeds that I have to pull out. It's the same in our relationship with God. There's work that we need to do, but we do it so that that transformation can happen. Not because we're trying to earn anything, not because we're trying to prove anything, but simply so that we can give ourselves the best chance of growing into the people that God wants us to be able to be. So we're going to take a moment in a sec to reflect on what that looks like, to put that into place. But before we do, there's one very important clarification that we need to make sure that we nail before we finish. It's really easy when we talk about transformation to interpret this just through the lens of what do I need to do? Because we live in Western culture and that's our default. It's all about individualism and what does this mean for me? The challenge is that God's heart and God's passion around transformation is so much bigger than that. God's heart and passion is for the transformation of all things. Not just my personal spiritual journey, And not even just all people, but all things. That's God's heart and God's desire. So the challenge is for us to recognise that our transformation matters, but that transformation matters because it's only as we're transformed that we can see transformation happen around us. It's only as we are transformed that we can see our church family transformed and grow to maturity into what God wants us to be. It's only as we're transformed that our families can be transformed. Whether we're a stay-at-home parent or whether we think about just what it looks like to interact with our kids throughout the week, our transformation can lead to the transformation of our families. Our transformation leads to the transformation of our workplaces, the students that we teach, the patients that we care for, the employees that we work with, the clients that we serve. That transformation can happen as we are transformed. Our schools and our unis can be transformed. As we have conversations with our friends at school, as we talk about the things that matter to us, we can transform our schools. And our neighbourhoods can be transformed. As we're willing to listen to our neighbours, as we look for opportunities to be able to serve them and to bring hope to them, as we're transformed, we can bring transformation to the streets that we live in. And it goes further beyond that as well. As we're transformed, people's lives around the world can be transformed. I got to email this week with Arthur and Tammy over in Dar es Salaam in Tanzania. They're doing amazing works of transformation on the other side of the world as they are transformed. Dalip and May are about to head out for another trip to see transformation happen in other places around the world. We have the opportunity to partner with incredible people who are doing incredible things all the way around the world to see transformation happen globally as we are transformed. But it starts with us. It starts with us, but it doesn't end with us. So this matters. So I want to give you an opportunity to be able to pause and to reflect on what this looks like for you. I know we've covered a lot today. What's one thing to be able to take away? There's always a challenge for us. It's to say, that's very overwhelming. There's so many areas in my life that I know God could be at work in. Pick one. What's one thing as you head into this week where you recognise that there's an opportunity for God to be at work in your life, doing a work of transformation? 
I encourage you to uh, take some time to jot something down. Feel free to talk to the person next to you. We'll have some music on, hopefully, and uh, just take a couple of moments to reflect, and then I'll come back and we'll pray and wrap things up. Jesus, we are so grateful for the transformation that you want to do in our lives. We're grateful that you love us as we are, but that you love us too much to leave us as we are. We thank you that you are passionate about us growing into the people that you created us to be, that you see the best version of who we are. And so we pray as we move into this week that we move into it with confidence, with the recognition that you are at work every single moment of every day. Every moment is an opportunity for us to connect with you, to learn from you, to be challenged by you, to be inspired by you, and to partner with you in the work that you're doing in us and around us. But we thank you that your vision for us is so much bigger than just us. Your passion and your heart is for the transformation and the the renewal of all things. And for some reason, you choose. As broken as we are, as much as we mess things up, you choose us as the people who are your agents of transformation and reconciliation. We thank you for the privilege that that is. And that this stuff matters not just because of what you want to do in us, but because of what you want to do in the lives of the people that we're going to connect with this week in all of the different circles that we move into. And because you want to see the transformation of this world in which we live in. So we ask that as we move in, you would continue to transform us from the inside out, that you would transform our hearts and our minds, our motives and our thoughts, so that we can live as the people that you created us to be. In your name we pray. Amen.